Welcome this morning to Jericho Ridge. Uh, my name is Mike. I am the student ministries pastor here at Jericho. And so uh, luckily in the summer, they give me a few more opportunities to uh, speak to you. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're in our series, as you can see, called Stranger Kings 2, as we look at the life of the prophet Elisha, not Elijah. Elisha, his protege. Uh, and we call it Stranger Kings too because uh, Elisha's just strange. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. He does some very, very strange things. And so we thought, well, Stranger Kings too, because uh, it's in Second Kings as well. So that's what we're going to call it. And so we've been a few, um, few messages into this now. Uh, and so we're going to continue on with the story uh, of Elisha this morning. And some of you, I mean, may notice there's like a very slight change. The chairs are slightly different. Uh, those on the sides are a little more curled, unless you guys straightened it out with some OCD kind of stuff. But <laughs> they're slightly curled because uh, during the summer, we do a family-inclusive things. So we do a little bit more different kind of things. And you're actually not just in the banquet hall this morning, but you're in Jericho Theater. Uh, and we're going to have some acting going on in a little bit later here for you from some very, very talented actors amongst us. So look forward to that. But let's uh, set the scene a little bit for the story that we're going to tell. So uh, a few weeks ago, when we introduced the series, uh, I said how Elisha is a little bit of a wanderer. He tends to go from place to place, wandering about. He doesn't just stay in one spot. He likes going out in the countryside and doing walkabouts out in rural Judah uh, and wandering around. But there's one town that he seems to, seems to go through quite a bit, and it's this town called Shunem. Just a sec, I gotta adjust this, it's flopping all over my ear right now. I feel like it's gonna fall off. Okay, that's better. And the, uh, this town called Shunem, as we can see up on the, the map there. And there's a woman in this town who notices uh, Elisha coming through, and so she invites him to come to her house and have a meal with her and her husband. And so Elisha goes and he enters the house and he eats with them. And they're very hospitable. It's a nice meal. And so every time now that Elisha happens to come into Shunem, he sits down with this woman and her husband and has a meal. Uh, delicious food, free food. Who's going to say no? And so Elisha keeps coming in and sitting down and eating with them. Well, one day this woman uh, goes to her husband and says, I know that this man is a man of God. And so I think we should uh, make him a room so he can stay there whenever he comes into town. Now, this is going beyond hospitality because unlike some of our houses today where we have uh, a guest room that's set up that whoever's coming into town can uh, just stay in that room, they didn't have guest rooms. They actually built, added a room to their house specifically for Elisha to stay in. So they build the walls, they build the roof, uh, and they create an Airbnb exclusively for Elisha when he comes into town. Like, this is amazing hospitality. Now, the, the woman, as we can see from these actions, is a little different from the, the woman in the story that happens just before this that Pastor Brad talked about last week, which was the widow who was poor uh, and came to Elisha for help. And so Elisha tells her to take her little flask of olive oil that she has and pour it into jars, and then miraculously multiplies, and she's able to sell uh, these jars and pay off her debt. This woman, well, the uh, one obvious thing is her husband's still alive, because she has her husband around. And the other difference is actually they're quite well off. As you can see, they can build 
a house, or not a house, a room for Elisha to stay in. So they're quite well off. And it's interesting that the story centers around this woman right after a story that centers around another woman because uh, for ancient times, that is very, very rare to have a woman as a main character of the story. Um, it still kind of sticks around with that ancient time theme in which none of the women are given a name, uh, but there's two stories in a row telling about some great faith of these women, which is an amazing thing. So I'm going to introduce our actors now. We have Master Jared Sumner. He has starred in a couple of plays at his school. He even helped write one. You can come up. Uh, and Jared is playing the role of Elisha today. And so he needs his prophet lightsaber slash staff. So there you go, Elisha. And then we also have another one. She didn't want me to say her resume, so I won't. But we have Hannah Smethurst, who also is an experienced actor who's going to come up. And uh, she's playing the woman. So I got a little kerchief that you can put on your head. Kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> See, this is why I was going to say the play you're in. Oh, she gave me a glare. I won't say it. You can ask her later what play she's, but she's going to put perfect. Yes. See, she's, isn't she talented? She knows her costume. She knows her costume. Okay, while well, she fiddles with that. So they build, her, build him a room and they furnish it for him. So he's got a lovely chair there. He's got a nice table. He's got a lamp. Not pictured is he also has a bed, uh, which we probably sleep on the floor anyway. He's a prophet. He's kind of weird like that. Uh, and so this is like, like, what more does a prophet need than this? What more do you need, Elisha? Bible. A Bible? <laughs> there you go. A good Old Testament for Elisha there. <laughs> and so he's got this lovely furnished room. And so one day Elisha is lounging in his room. There you go. Lounge away. Perfect. And uh, he's at the home, and he calls for his servant Gehazi. I will also be playing the role of Gehazi. <laughs> Your servant. And so he calls Gehazi, and he says to Gehazi, to, uh, ooh, I'm skipped ahead. He tells Gehazi to call in the Shunammite. And so the Shunammite goes, or the Gehazi goes and gets the Shunammite, and she comes in, and she stands at the doorway before Elisha. And Elisha says to the Gehazi, tell her, ask her, if there's anything we can do for her, for her generosity, uh, is there, maybe I can put a good word for him, with the, for her, with the king or with the commander of the army. So he says that to Gehazi, and Gehazi asks the woman. And the woman says, I'm quite content. Uh, I live amongst my people. I'm good. And then she exits the room. Great job. You're doing great. And now, this was kind of an interesting scene. I'm actually going to get you to stand there again so that we can really see what's happening here. Elisha is putting some distance between himself and the woman. There you go. Per oh, you're so good. Perfect. <laughs> He's putting some distance between the two of them. He, first, he refers to her as the Shunammite instead of even the Shunammite woman would be a little bit better. It'd be like saying to you, the Canadian, or the Langlian, or whatever the correct word of that one is, instead of calling you by your name uh, at all. So he has that distance already. The second is she's standing, maybe not quite in the same room as him, out of respect for the prophet, but at the doorway. She's within eyesight of the prophet. And yet Elisha doesn't speak to her. He speaks to his servant, 
And then the servant speaks to her. So he's not even directly addressing her. So he's, again, putting up the servant. She's hearing everything twice. She's hearing Elisha say it to Gehazi and then hearing Gehazi say it back to her. But she won't have any of that because when she says, I'm content and I live amongst my people, she doesn't say it to Gehazi who then tells it to Elisha. She says it right to Elisha. She just wants to go straight to the man of God and say it. And it's, uh, why does Elisha set up this, this distance between the two of them? Why are you doing it? <laughs> Don't know quite know either. But perhaps it's this wariness. This woman has built a room for him to stay in. And so perhaps he's a little concerned that this is a favor that she's going to hold over him. That at some time she might ask him to do something for her and he can't really say no because look at this lovely room that he has. How can he say no? And they built it for him. And so perhaps that's something like this. And maybe he's trying to get ahead of the curve by saying, what can I do for you? Can I do this or can I do this? Uh, And try to get rid of that favor off the bat so he doesn't actually owe her anything. But she's not thinking that way. She just wants to help serve the prophet of God. She's just a very generous and caring woman. And so she... She says no to his, his, uh, his request. Again, he's showing a little bit of separation. He says, can I speak to the king for you? Can I speak to the commander of the army? Look at the circles that I'm running in. I know the king, and he trusts me, and I can put a good word for you in. And you may be a wealthy woman, but you're in the town of Shunem. It's pretty small. Uh, and so he's, again, putting that separation, but she speaks directly to him. So Elisha lounges back, is still in his chair, and he's thinking. And he thinks aloud to his servant Gehazi. Gehazi, what can we do for this generous woman? And so Gehazi thinks, and he ponders. And he says to him, well, she doesn't have any children, and her husband is quite old. And so Elisha gets the idea, (laughs) and he gets Gehazi. And Gehazi says, Shunammite, come back over here. And this time, Elisha directly talks to the woman and says, this time next year, you will have a child. And that was kind of the woman's face, actually. (laughs) Though she was a little more shocked and less horrified. (laughs) But she says, no, my Lord. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant about this. We're going to end Act 1 there. First, you can take a seat. I will call you up in a little bit, but let's give them a hand of applause. They're going to take a little intermission, and then we'll call them back up. (laughs) So that's the woman's response. No, man of God, don't mislead me about this thing. Because the thing about ancient Israel is they don't have this revelation to the afterlife that we talk about, about heaven and the resurrection of the dead, that we have our hope in now because of Jesus. They only knew life on earth. And so how you continued your name, how you continued on in earth was through your children. So if you were married, you tried to have children. Everyone wanted to have children because that's how your name would move on. That's how your presence on earth would continue. So the fact that this woman and this husband and the husband's quite old and they don't have children yet points to something is wrong. This woman would have had to fight through that darkness and that pain and that hurt and that sadness over her lot in life. 
She says to Elijah, I live amongst my people. She shows great contentment. But how long did she take her to reach that point? How many years did she struggle and struggle and struggle until she comes to the point of finally finding some peace and some contentment? And then Elisha comes and says, this time next year you'll have a child. And all that darkness and that pain starts rising up again. She shrinks back a little bit as he starts poking a little bit at that scar. She doesn't want to have her hopes raised again and have them come crashing down and go back into that darkness and that pain that she's felt before. This is probably the feelings that are coming up in her hand. That's why she reacts in such a way. But Elisha's words come true a year later. She has a son, and the boy starts growing up. One day, the boy is out in the field with his father and their workers, and he starts complaining uh, about a headache. He says, oh, my head, my head. And he's, uh, he's complaining to his father. And his father tells one of his servants, you know, take the boy, take him to his mother. And so they pick up the boy and they carry him to his mother. Uh, and they sit in the room with his head on her lap. And there he dies. How could this be? Surely this couldn't be some cruel joke that God played on her. Just giving her this child and raising her hopes just to have them come crashing down and back into that darkness and that pain and that hurt with greater force than before. So she picks up her boy and takes him into the prophet's room and lies him on the prophet's bed. So Elisha has a responsibility in this matter. All right, we're going to go into act two. Do you get a nice rest? Do you feel relaxed? All right, we'll call up our Elisha and our woman. Elisha, you don't get to sit in the chair because you're not here. You can stand over there. So the woman has laid, there you go. The woman has laid her son, son's body in the bed of the prophet. And she knows that Elisha has some responsibility in this. So she goes to her husband and asks for, Uh, a servant and a donkey so that she can go see the man of God. And the husband is confused. It's like, it's not the Sabbath. It's not the new moon festival. Why do you want to go see the man of God? But she plays it off and she says, oh, everything's fine. I just need to go see him. So the man says yes. And she goes and travels. So you're going to travel on your donkey. You can take a little lap around. There she goes, (laughs) traveling away. Okay, that works. And she comes to Mount Carmel, where the prophet is. And as she's a distance away, perfect, Elisha sees her and says, look. Oh, with the staff, cool. Look, there's the Shunammite. She's coming this way. Gehazi, run towards her and ask her, how is her husband? How is she? How is her child? So Gehazi comes and he runs interference again and he stops her. And he asks her these questions. How is your husband? Is it all right? Are you all right? Is your child all right? But she doesn't want to talk to Gehazi. She wants to talk to the man of God. So she says everything is fine. And then she pushes past Gehazi. You're going to enjoy this part, aren't you? And goes straight to Elisha. And she falls at his feet and is weeping and crying bitterly. And now Gehazi, again, tries to 
have some interference and get her off of the feet. But Elisha tells him to stop. And he says, look. Oh, no, that's, I, he already said that. He said, leave her alone. She's in great darkness and distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and hasn't told me why. And then she cries out to Elisha, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? And with these words, Elisha knows what has happened. He turns to Gehazi and says, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But again, the woman won't let separation come between her and the prophet who represents God. She says to him, as surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you live, I will not leave you. And so Elisha decides that he will go with her into town. The words that she says are the exact same words that Elisha said to his mentor Elijah before he was taken up by the chariots of fire. Elijah keeps trying to get rid of Elisha and tell him to go. And Elisha keeps saying, as surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you live, I will not leave you and follows him along. And now the woman says these same words to Elisha and convinces Elisha to go with him. So Gehazi books it ahead uh, and they follow behind. Take a bow. Great work. Excellent. 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 Thank you. I'm sure you can see them in future plays. No? Jared said no. (laughs) So uh, this is a scene of urgency that we see here. Uh, Gehazi has to tuck, I don't have a cloak, so, and I'm also not wearing a belt, but he has to tuck his cloak into his belt because their cloaks were like the long ones and you can't run. I imagine Caitlin has a dress that she can only like go like this and has to like shuffle her feet. their clothes were like that. So he takes it up and he has to tuck it into his cloak so he actually has the leg movement to run. Uh, and he also gets the instruction to not greet anyone on the road. And if you uh, have spent some time in Africa and tried to organize things in Africa, uh, it's quite similar concept, uh, culture, as to what ancient Israel had in this. In that when you're going down the road in ancient Israel and in much of Africa today, and you see someone that you know, you don't do the North American thing, which is saying, hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, and then walk on. No, that's rude. You have to stop and have a conversation. And you have that conversation until that conversation is done. And so it could be 20 minutes, it could be half an hour, it could be an hour, it could be an hour and a half, but you don't leave until that conversation wraps up and then you continue on your way. So when you try to have like a small group with, with them, uh, people will pop in and out <laughs> maybe even two hours after it's supposed to have started. Uh, But that's just the culture, and it's the same here. So Gehazi doesn't have any time for that. This is a scene of urgency. He's got to take the staff and uh, raise the boy. And so he's not allowed to greet anyone. He has to be rude and run past them. And so he runs and he runs and he runs. Now there's a few biblical stories, uh, well, this is a biblical story, other biblical stories uh, that are reflective of this one. First off, we have the common theme uh, of a woman unable to have a child and then being given one. But this one, we have a little bit of a difference. So one of those stories is the story of Abraham and Sarah. 
God comes to Abraham uh, and gives him three promises. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you and through you bless everyone. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. So to be made into a great nation, he has to have kids and preferably lots of them. But Abraham comes, he starts approaching almost 100 years old and he still doesn't have a kid. And he raises up this slight problem with God. It's like, I don't have any children. You said that you're going to make me into a great nation. Uh, and God says, well, this time next year, Sarah will have a son. And it comes true. And Isaac is born. And the promise passed to Isaac. There's also uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And yes, Jacob. And uh, Jacob has two wives, different culture. Uh, he has two wives, Leah and Rachel, and he really loves Rachel. He's not as keen on Leah, but that's a different story. Uh, and Leah's having lots of children, but Rachel's not having any. And so Rachel prays to God, wanting child, and God gives her children. The difference in our story, the woman doesn't ask for a child. She's found her contentment in life and his found at least some peace that she's unable to have one. But Elisha says, this time next year I'll have a child. He doesn't even offer it. He tells her, this time next year you're going to have a child. The woman herself is also reflective of a story that Jesus tells. That Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8, which is on the screen there. It's really cool seeing the screen this way because it's like Star Wars writing. He goes, if you, now you're all going to look at it. Anyways, uh, she's similar to the woman in this story. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about the people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. A weird thing to say yourself, but okay. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Elisha keeps putting up the separation between him and her. And that's often Gehazi who's the separation. But she continually pushes through and continually directly addresses him. Uh, he's the representative of God. She wants to go straight to God's representative and talk to God about these issues. She keeps knocking, keeps persisting, keeps pushing past the blockades and the interferences. Now, Elisha's a little bit better than this judge. He doesn't completely ignore her, um, but he keeps trying to set those separations. He's the judge sitting in the house and yelling from upstairs window, trying to deal with the problem from there rather than getting involved. And so he sends Gehazi first, but he falls behind. Gehazi's running, and so he gets to the room. He comes in, sees the, the boy on the bed, and he lays the staff over his head, and nothing happens. The boy is still dead. And so Gehazi goes back and he meets them uh, on the way and he reports this to, to Elisha. The boy is still dead. And so now Elisha has to go in. There's no more separation. 
Gehazi wasn't good enough for what Elisha was responsible for. And so Elisha goes into the room and he prays. And this is a growing moment too for Elisha. Every miracle he's performed that we've talked about so far, he's done with relative ease. Throw some salt into a spring and it purifies. Throw some flour into a uh, pot of poisonous stew and it's purified. Have a servant hand out some bread and it's multiplied. Tell a widow to fill jars from a flask of oil and it multiplies. He doesn't have to do as much. Throw a stick at an axe head and it will float to the surface of a river. But this time, it's, it's not enough. He has to get down and pray and get his hands dirty. See, some commentators pick up that it seems that Elisha kind of does this on his own volition, his own motivation. There's no, thus saith the Lord, you will have a son this time next year. There's no offering of it. It's Elisha himself saying, this time you'll have a son next year. Uh, and God still works the power through to give her this son. Perhaps Elisha was starting to take his calling and God's spirit upon him for granted. A lot of it, he just kind of does these things. And they come rather easily to him. But now, he sits at the foot of this bed and he prays and he struggles and he fights through this prayer. He thinks about what his mentor did, Elijah, in the same situation. There was a widow's boy who died and Elijah goes in and stretches himself over the body of the boy and the boy comes to life. So Elisha prays and he stretches himself over the body of the boy. He goes hand to hand, mouth to mouth, eye to eye. And the boy warms a bit but still no life. So Elisha gets up and he paces back and forth and he's praying and praying and praying and the pacing is showing his frustration and his struggle and his fight in this prayer. God, raise this boy. God, raise this boy. And he's praying and he's praying and he goes back and he stretches himself over again, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, eye to eye. And then life returns to the boy. And hopefully not while Elisha's still on him. The boy sneezes seven times. Uh, sneezing was considered a very strong sign of life. If you can only sneeze if you're alive. <laughs> Just true. And so him sneezing seven times, that's a lot of sneezes, uh, shows that, man, this boy is alive. As he ever. Maybe it was dusty in the grave where he was. Um, but he sneezes seven times. Unlike his other miracles, Elisha has to work and struggle in prayer and in action in order. He has to go over a boy's dead body and uh, dead bodies were a sign of uncleanliness. Uh, touching a dead body made you ceremonially unclean. You couldn't come back into God's presence for a long period of time until you cleansed yourself as well. And yet Elisha, God's prophet, the one who has God's spirit upon him, stretches himself over the boy's body and prays and prays and prays. He has to fully depend on God with all his strength and all his prayer, all his hope has to be in God for this miracle to happen, different than any other miracle he's done. So Elisha calls Gehazi in and tells him to bring in the woman. She comes in and Elisha says to her, not to Gehazi, straight to her, take your son. And she falls to her, her, her knees and she begins to worship God. 
And then she takes her son and walks out. So what do we take from this story? Last week, Pastor Brad told us the three hardest words to say was, I need help. That we need to admit that to ourselves, that we need help. We need to admit that to others. We need to bring those things before God. And the story builds upon that theme and that we need the perseverance in our asking for help. The widow clings to God's prophet, asking over and over that he comes and fixes the wrong that he did, that he brings justice to the situation. She didn't ask for a son, and yet she was given one, and she was joyful about that. But then her son's taken away from her, and the pain returns, not justice in that. The prophet persists in prayer before God and struggles and fights through that prayer, pleading with God to raise the boy. The widow in Jesus' parable comes to the judge day after day after day and bangs and knocks and knocks and cries out for justice to this judge who cares nothing for God or for people. Judge is not a recommended position if you feel that way. Ignores her, ignores her, ignores her, but her persistence and her perseverance and her struggle at knocking at that door and crying out and crying out finally changes his heart. They fight and they struggle through prayers when praying is not easy before God to come and work and bring justice. Do we show that same fight and struggle in our prayers? Do we have the persistence of a, a child I think of my friends have a couple of kids um, and we go over to their place. One of them really likes climbing. And so I come in, the first thing he says to me is comes up, can I climb you? Uh, maybe not right now. Can I climb you? Persistent. So finally I grab his hands and he works his way up till he's on his shoulders and then you throw him on the couch. But he's not done yet because he wants to keep climbing. It doesn't matter how tired and sore you are. He keeps going. Or their daughter who's in gymnastics and is really excited that she can do a cartwheel. And we're sitting at dinner and she's like, can we go outside? Can I show you my cartwheel now? Oh, we're still eating dinner, maybe in a bit. Like five minutes later. Can we go outside and I show you my cartwheel? She's persistent and keeps asking. She wants to show off her cartwheel. And she asks and asks and asks until finally we go outside and she can do her cartwheels. Do we have that persistence in our, in our prayers? Do we knock relentlessly on the door until someone answers us, till God answers us? Elisha needed to go through that struggle to increase his faith. We need to go through that struggle to increase our faith. The worship team is gonna come up and lead us in, in one song of response. And I emphasize one, because usually we do two, so to follow my instructions afterwards. Don't wait. But we're gonna have prayer response teams on the side. And the thing about this struggle and this perseverance that sometimes we need in prayer is that we don't actually have to do that struggle and that perseverance alone. That we are surrounded with a community to struggle with us, to pray with us, to take those burdens upon us. And so we're gonna have Betty and Brad and Wally and Sylvia at the back available for prayer. And so maybe there's something that you've prayed for a couple times and haven't seen anything, 
haven't heard an answer. Maybe there's something else that has been going on in your life and you need that prayer. You need that struggle and it's hard, hard to pray and persevere through that. Um, these people can help you take those starting steps, can walk alongside you in that struggle and that prayer. So as we do this one song and you need prayer, uh, don't wait for it. Go up. <laughs>